content warning. The following podcast contains material that involves self-harm, mental illness, eating disorders, profanity, and other graphic contents. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back. Jess is here. Okay, we're gonna start off. I feel like we have to keep them. I feel like Sarah's was weird, you know. Oh. I feel like we can't get rid of these openings. Oh, it's ridiculous. The entries are the best part. Okay. Hello, welcome back to episode three. Four? 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 <laughs> How are you guys doing this week? Well, they can't really answer, so. Uh. You are Oh, I was like, the audience definitely can't answer, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) They could try. Oh, my God. How do we have a perfectly normal conversation before the intro starts? No one knows. No one knows. Well, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) We are back. We're back. And Jess is going to lead us this week in our podcast. Yes, Jess, you are. Jess is discussing herself in the third person. <laughs> yeah, and Jess is going to kick ass at this. I'm really excited for this week. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. There's a lot of really good, like, points that you have, and we're going to dive in. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, I'm about to die. Goddammit. I was trying not to make another song reference. <laughs> I do They're never ending. song references. Never ending. Okay, so. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So we've been discussing mental health and especially that of adolescents. Um, So today we're going to take a look at the correlation between um, a lack of resources surrounding mental health and declining mental health in teenagers. So we know that teenagers are dealing with enough stress and change in their physical world without having to add on to that of their mental state. So it's important for us to make sure we're giving them like the loving and supportive environment that they need to be open and honest about what's going on. That is very true. Yeah. I feel like it's one of the biggest issues that we have to hit on. Yeah. And I'd like to start us off here with a few facts I got from the World Health Organization. So one in six people are aged 10 to 19 years old. Mental health conditions account for 16% of the global burden of disease and injury in people aged 10 to 19 years old. Holy crap. Half of all mental health conditions start by 14 years of age, but most cases are undetected and untreated. Yeah. Globally, depression is one of the leading causes of illness and disability among adolescents. I like that it says disability in that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's words that are like verbiage that's not always used, but it's mm-hmm. very accurate. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that is one of the most important parts of it is addressing it as it is a disability, not in a way that should be like it should be used as like a derogatory thing, but it is a disability. Definitely. Um, suicide is the third leading cause of death in 15 to 19 year olds. Oof. Jesus. 
And finally, the consequences of not addressing adolescent mental health conditions extends to adulthood, which impairs both physical and mental health and limits opportunities for people to lead extremely fulfilling lives as adults, you know, when they're not treated and they don't have the resources. Absolutely. That's 100% accurate. It affects going forward. You don't know how to deal with it or symptoms show in physical ways and manifest in different ways. Yeah. It's extremely detrimental. Yeah, and I think also it's important to take into account that with these numbers and statistics, these are only the reported cases. These are the cases that are diagnosed and acknowledged publicly, which in its own way is – it's rare because it's not – not everyone has access to um, either medical care or has supporting family members or resources around them that allow them to get that kind of assistance. So – I feel like that on its own says a lot because those numbers are already so high just in the people who are able to get diagnosed. Right. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then especially speaking on young people, adolescence is a time where like our, our social and emotional habits are forming. Like we're just developing our coping skills, interpersonal skills, deciding on taking on exercise regularly, exploring yeah. our sexual identity, you know, like we're really seeing how we are going to maneuver as people throughout the world and throughout our lives. It is a tumultuous time in general, let yeah. alone yeah. having any kind of hindrance with mental illness or any other kind of struggles. And yeah. a lot of the time, I think it is kind of disregarded because of that. Like a lot of times it's just like, ah, oh, it's a phase, it's teenagers just mm-hmm. being moody and struggling, which, I mean, to some degree, it makes sense that people would dismiss it but also it's so common that more often than not it's not teenagers just being moody it's most teenagers are struggling with this yeah we learned about it a lot in like developmental like psych and all my classes like you know adolescence is a huge point when especially with your hormones and all that it is interacting and it is common for teens to have like you know things like self-conscious tendencies and as you move away from like the egotistical line they say when you're younger where it's like all about you it's a lot of comparative things at that point mm-hmm. yeah and so yeah, that definitely. makes it a lot harder and that's all heightened by say social media and you know society's standards for young people i feel like is just increasing constantly like you're supposed to grow up at like an earlier age every year Absolutely. I mean, even just like, I know there's been pictures people have been posting recently comparing like them at 13 versus their sisters at 13. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it really does show how much, not even necessarily they're intending to, but young kids have this image forced upon them and they're trying to like confine themselves to fit in this social standard, which of course will provide more anxiety at a younger age. They're more and more aware of the world seeing them. And I think actually something I talked about in another class just today that's really important is discussing the um, biological versus like social Mm -hmm. um, aspects of mental illness, because it's true that they both do play a part. But more than anything, I think a lot of people, when they think of the social implications, they think of just like, oh, the friends you hang out with, the school you go to, like that kind of stuff, which does play a role. Absolutely. But a lot of the um, the predispositions that come from your social 
um, environment actually start before you're born, like whether your parents have a lot of stress in their lives or a lot of like that kind of stuff. And then the house that you're raised in can, it, it can influence you in ways you're not aware until it's starting to manifest in your teenage years, which is a whole other issue because then it's not even something you're in control of, which yeah. a lot of people think you should be when it comes to mental illness. What's seen as like, oh, you don't have this horrible life, mm-hmm. you know, you have no reason just to have depression, you have no reason to be anxious. Yeah. You grew up in being loved and with food and water, and that's not always how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Even social things, yeah, you can grow up like I did with, I always had a meal in front of me. You know, I always had a roof over my head just yeah. from one parent or the other. But that doesn't mean that, you know the other things going on or parenting styles even not on purposely, but they can be, you know, playing a role. I came from two young parents who uh-huh. hadn't graduated high school or I mean college and were trying to make ends meet for me. Like it was, there was a lot of things that as kids, you don't realize that they pick up on and looking back on it or going to therapy too. You, you kind of read into like, Oh, wow. <laughs> Those little things that, like, you know, oh, you had this perfect fine life. You grew up in a suburban area. I'm like, you know, yeah. the surface level is just surface level. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. God, and going back to that statistic, I'm just looking at it again, just the fact that it that mental health conditions account for 16% of the disease and injury in people aged 10 to 19. Yeah. Just, look, I heard the 19, that part stuck because, yeah, teenage years, but 10 to 19, Mm -hmm. that is, it's a wide range, but it's so young. And I think that age group is also kind of disregarded a lot of the time because it's not really an age group we talk about when it comes to mental illness. And Mm -hmm. I feel like at that time in particular, going middle school, or is that, that's elementary yeah. school. That's elementary. Yeah, yeah it's like fifth. About fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. Gosh, at that age, too, those are some big, complicated emotions that you don't have words to put to yet. That must, that is another reason why it's so important for kids to be educated on this, because I feel like you can, you can simplify it. You don't have to go into the big, big, heavy of all of it, but mm-hmm. even just giving them words they can put to their feelings to help empower them so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's where, like, too, you know, uh, elementary school is where, you know, bullying starts. It's yeah. a lot of people's yeah. first school experience. And as someone that worked out of school for a bit, I was a PE teacher. The kids that were the meanest by far and the kids that were the most brutal and all of that were the kids been like the fourth and fifth grade classes that I dealt with. They were the ones that it was starting to be like, hey, no, you need to be kind to one another. Like, yeah. I saw a kid come to school every day with his favorite highlighter orange jacket on. Oh. It's so cute. It's this huge puffy jacket, orange. There's no need for that big of a jacket coming from Sacramento. It's <laughs> cold there. But he loved it, and he came every day wearing that. And I remember we're standing in line one day, and these girls behind him were like, you can't – you wear that jacket every day because you're poor. You can't afford anything else. That's why you wear it. Why don't you get another jacket? That one's ugly. Oh, wait, you can't afford another jacket. That's why you wear it. And it was like this whole thing. And I remember sitting back and being just horrified and like thinking back on even when I, we were in elementary school, like I got bullied ruthlessly because I had a vocal problem. I had a vocal condition where my voice was deeper than most. My vocal cords were damaged and I got made fun of 
ruthlessly and just like watching it you're like wow yeah. we don't think of these things till high school like you don't see the stereotypes as much portrayed like in elementary school unless it's seen in certain movies where it's like the kid has a like very large physical disability that's very obvious and then they get the dog it's never like a just a kid that say looks more what you would imagine to be normal getting picked on and right. it's detrimental like it happens at all stages and it can cause a lot of things even if you may not be like fully depressed in fifth grade it can definitely attribute to the depression that grows and becomes into a mental illness later absolutely yeah i mean yeah and these are all issues that come about on their own um and then it, when you think about adding the stress and the pressure of schooling itself onto children, like, it's just, especially in America, everything is so pressured to do your best, always do your best, get straight A's, get into the best college possible, you yeah. know, or otherwise your future is going to be terrible. I mean, I've heard <laughs> so many statistics where it's like, you know, those those kids who tested as like college reading level in fifth grade. It's like, we all have anxiety now. <laughs> Everyone who tested yeah. as a gifted child initially, it's like, yeah, because then we were labeled as like gifted students who of mm. course have, now have this label and this mm. expectation that even if it's not yeah. like actually placed on them, it's going to stick with you. Like I was so fucking anxious all through middle school and high school about my grades just because I had this expectation of what I was supposed mm-hmm. to be like in honors classes and all through college. Like, it doesn't necessarily go away. <laughs> like, even if you're aware that it's not a label you necessarily need to live up to. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was putting Gate in fourth grade. And, yep. I mean, not – he didn't mean it in a bad way, but my dad has told me so many times throughout my life, like, you're a genius. You're so smart. And I'm like, I appreciate the belief in me, but also if I bring home a C, I need you to not freak out. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like my parent, my dad has always been someone, my biggest supporter in school. Like, no yeah. doubt about it. Definitely my biggest supporter. Like, he's been the one that's always encouraged me to continue up with my grades and keep my grades. But then it comes with the, like, well, I know you can get an A because you've gotten all A's before. So yep. if you're not getting an A, then you're being lazy or right. not doing something right or something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, such a big pressure. And he even joked all throughout college, like, um, B's don't get paid for, like, degrees don't get paid for if you get B's. Oh, you get a C? I'm not going to, I'm going to stop paying for college if you get a C. That's not how it works. And it's, like, joking around, but it's so so much pressure and it mm-hmm. builds and it adds and now when I would get close to a B I would like lose my mind and have like almost an anxiety attack and my stepmom was the one who has been pulling me down and kind of slapping my dad around for it <laughs> oh heck no like no 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 we are always going to support you and she was the one who cheered me on when I got a B <laughs> studying abroad I got my first B in college I my first one ever studying abroad and I called her and she literally started cheering for me <laughs> and I was like good the world is not ending you gotta be you see like the world is fine you're doing great the world like you're good and your dad is an idiot and he's still helping you with shit so like, <laughs> don't listen. that is actually exactly my mom was the same way I used to do 
not with grades, but with piano recitals. I had these recitals. I would be sick for weeks before just feeling so anxious and so nervous because I always was like, I need to do it perfectly. Like, I need to nail this. I need to do it perfectly. And, like, seven years in a row, I did fine. Like, no issues at all. And then one time I just choked. And it was, like, one note that I just fucked up and I couldn't recover right away. And it took me a bit to get back. And my mom, ever since, has always been like, I'm so glad you messed up. She's like, because you saw in that moment. You faced your fear. You did the thing you weren't ever wanting to do, mm. and you're okay. Like yes. you survived the thing. And I feel like that message, though, that you can fuck up and it's okay, is definitely not present in a lot of public schooling situations. Like no. because you're told, even with your testing, like it, it reflects the school. It reflects on you. It reflects mm-hmm. on like all of those things. So the message that you can fuck up and you can be fine is not there. <laughs> Well, and it's two, it's, there's one path. It's a one path. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone has to do the same path. And, oh, you're not doing that path? Well, then, okay, um, you're going to work at McDonald's for the rest of your life. Yeah, then we don't know how to help you. Like, it's never like, okay, what about vocational school? What about JC? Because it is saving money and it is a good education as well. What about, yeah, you want to go straight into the workforce and you need, like, a certificate to the job that you need? Let's help you get the certificate. Like, at my school, we were right next to Adelante, which was, like, the bad kid school. And the threat was constantly, oh, you get in trouble. Oh, you're not keeping grades. We're going to ship you off to Adelante and see how that is. And it was, like, such this, like, horrible idea of, like, okay, if a kid is struggling in classes, if a kid is mentally, emotionally, rather than trying to, like, support them, it would be, like, okay, we're going to ship you to Adelante. And that's where you're going to get stuck. And it was threatened constantly. And that's not fair. Like, that's not what kids need. And in other countries, their focus is, like, okay, you know, what are you interested in? Let's send you to a school path based on the topics that you're interested in and that, like, you want to work with. And there's a reason that their education is so much higher also, though. Like, they learn so much more is because it's not, like, a push necessarily as much towards like capitalist you need to get out get your degree as fast as you can and go straight into work it's like okay how can we make it so you're the most functioning not only employee but person you can be member of society in general yeah this is why we don't have as many like super patriotic citizens who are fitting into like what they want because all these other countries are pushing like we want you to be good citizens we need to be and I feel like we don't push that in our schools. We're pushing for employees and workers and mm-hmm. yeah, Hard work is valued over everything in America, I feel like. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that also, yeah, it takes me to, like, I originally wanted to become a teacher, not because I necessarily wanted to pass down the curriculum of the school system, but really because I wanted to make – help produce good human beings. Same. Like, that's the reason. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the curriculum itself is, like, most of the reason why I don't even want to be a teacher anymore. I mean, I'm still, of course, going to work with kids, and, like, that's because that's my passion, is helping children become good, functioning members of society. But it's not going to be done through the school system for me anymore because of that. That's where I'm at. That's also where I'm at. I joined initially, and... A teacher track where that's what I thought I wanted to do but the more I learned I mean even just starting with lies my teachers told me like right off the bat I'm like teachers 
don't really get a say in a lot of the curriculum they teach. And I don't want to be forced to teach in ways that I'm not comfortable with that I think are not benefiting students that I think are just aiding. And like you said, the shuttling them from school to a job, whether it's one they like or not, because I feel like that really does perpetuate the cycle of stress and anxiety induced on students. Well, I think, too, we push that, like, oh, you want to work with kids and help them? Then go right into our school system. Go yep. to the public yeah, school system. Yeah, definitely. Whereas, like, there's so many other ways yeah. to help kids and to, like, do, like, right now my work is so fulfilling working with, like, nonprofits with foster care kids because that's actually helping them in – I'm helping them with education stuff, but, like, I'm also helping them with their needs, like, the groups that are kind of underrepresented – because in our school system, there's a lot of groups that are underrepresented, and there's a lot of schools that are too. Definitely. I think it's funny. All of us are like, we came in to be teachers, mm-hmm. and here we are, <laughs> and here we are bashing it. Definitely <laughs> or not, I will say, liberal studies. This degree has helped me like realize though the many outlets that you can go and like. A different way. Like, they push their teacher track so hard, which is great, but it also kind of helps you realize if you won't want to do that or not. Yeah. So... You know yeah. what? It's actually kind of funny that this is our this is our exit project. Um, we're criticizing, analyzing, and finding solutions for how to fix the system that we decided we don't want to be a part of because of how it is. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it seems pretty fitting, honestly. Like it is honestly based off of my education at, Hush- at Hutchins. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. No, I I a thousand percent agree. Unless we are able to do, unless personally me, I say we. Unless I was able to actually make that difference through, like, creating programs for either colleges or high schools or whatever that could actually, like, implement something like what we talked about last week or even something different. Unless I was able to do that, like, I don't know if I want to go into the American school system and California school system. Yeah, I think that's very justified. So, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to high school, like, high school for me was definitely a time where I really needed, like, immense support, like how we said earlier with surrounding family, like, any adults, really, that were taking a hand in my life at the moment. Um, And, like, it's really their job to create a space for us where we can feel understood and heard and supported and cared for um because without that space you're how are you expected to find the words to let them know that you're struggling when you are yeah and i just think everyone's on the same page you know yeah everyone's struggling so why should i especially in high school like you're you're taking so much of your life to just try to fit in and try to figure out where you fit in right like it's it's definitely less normal to see the person who doesn't care about fitting into a mold. Yeah. And I think another important aspect that we haven't even really touched on is just the fact that high school is, it forces you to run on adrenaline just based on the hours. Like you really are spending so much of your time early morning to, if you do extracurriculars, if you do anything early evening, not to mention homework and whatever else, it's like, a lot of the time you don't really have time to actually sit and deeply analyze what you're experiencing. You're just kind of going day to day. And because you're unable to either 
analyze it more deeply yourself or have anyone who's helping you like search out for the words I feel like that's why a lot of uh, students go undiagnosed or just like they're not understood for what they're going through because they don't even know how to express it and you have to think too the kids that do come out sometimes like I remember early in high school before like what we talked about where it almost became like not a fad to be like mentally ill Mm -hmm. but all of that but before that because we were that kind of came throughout our feel like our time in high school at least in my Mm -hmm. area but I remember when it was like early and I was in like middle school and elementary school and anyone that ever said that they were struggling or anyone that seemed to really try to like be themselves even if it didn't fit in that mold it was like an immediate target on your back it was like an immediate you are the odd man out you this is wrong like everyone's going through the same thing with like school and the pressure and like we're all struggling so like why why do anything else almost there's nothing else you can do so you would have the kids that would come to school like trying to be themselves or like at my elementary school or at my middle school there was a girl who was like cutting herself and I remember the immediate reaction from everyone was just oh she wants attention and it was like a clear cry out for help it was a clear like she needed someone and she needed support but even the faculty at the school were like, you're just wanting attention and you have a bad home life. So you're just trying to get any attention, anywhere you can get it. And we're not going to give it to you if you want. And it's horrible. Like you really need like faculty and you need people there that are going to understand. And it needs to be more of an accepting environment for those kids that don't fit the typical mold. Because you know, most of us wouldn't fit the typical mold if we didn't feel like you were suffocated into that mold and, like, forced. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things that absolutely could and should be implemented in one way or another. Having proper education or training of some kind for faculty members at high schools. Not even, not forcing students to talk with them because a lot of times that'll just, that'll just shut students down. No one wants to be forced to share if they're not feeling comfortable. But having some way of expressing themselves and knowing that they will be heard and understood or at very least they have a support system like that, it would be so helpful because a lot of the times students, like when they're struggling and it's visible at school, they don't have a supportive home life or a supportive friendship group who can help them. So I don't, I don't even know exactly how maybe coming up with like a universal just baseline for education for faculty members but I feel like that wouldn't be hard to implement in like I don't know teacher training kind of stuff um yeah psychological uh, at least like some types of psychology course a group of psychology courses really should be uh, required required yeah for anyone becoming a teacher yeah also Um, this is kind of straying a little bit but it kind of made me laugh because I was talking to a coworker about it the other day so we were talking about very similar topics and um like just the environment of like forcing people into work and into boxes in high school and the detrimental ideas we kind of all sat around and joked around and we're like what did you want to be growing up because that's something that was so stifled later on when you're like really little there's this whole thing of like you can do whatever you want you can be whoever you want to be but then if you don't say the answer that people don't want you to say, if you don't say, like, something that makes good money, it's like, oh, but, like, what about this? Like, yeah. I remember growing up, my brother wanted to be a school bus driver so bad oh. <laughs> when he was little. He wanted to be a school bus driver. And it was really cute. And, like, people would be like, oh, my God, that's adorable. But then the moment he hit 
probably around later elementary school, probably around 10, is when people started being like, you don't want to be a school bus driver. They don't go anywhere. Like, you don't do anything. That doesn't take any education. Like, that's a bad job. You don't want it. And I'm like, okay, wait. That is not how we should be teaching children about going forward with their goals and dreams. Because let's be real. We all probably had one job that we wanted growing up, even if it was for a second. That either was completely unrealistic, yes, or was just, like, really out of the box and not what people would normally think. Mm -hmm. And it's shut down because of that. Like. I feel like we all probably had one, and I think it's hilarious when you actually hear people's because sometimes you're just like, that's really cute, like a school bus driver. Like, who sits around and is like, I want to be a school bus driver? Yeah. We need those. Yeah. <laughs> that job's not going anywhere. No, that's not going anywhere. Let's be honest. I mean, it went somewhere this year, but. Also, it is a job that most people don't want, but that we need. Mm-hmm. Like, why shut it down? So I'm just curious if you guys had any funny jobs like that. I like hearing those. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yeah. I wanted to be an Olympic athlete. That was my goal when I was in elementary school. And then I decided I wanted to be an art therapist, like I think is what it was initially for a bit. And then I realized that took about like eight extra years of schooling, (laughs) and I didn't have money to do that. (laughs) So I was like, you would be a great art therapist. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. That was that was my idea of incorporating because actually that came out of wanting to do art in some way as a profession and realizing, like you said, art doesn't make money. That's the thing. You can't yeah. want to do any profession with art. Yeah. I was I was wanted to be a baker. Oh, yes. <laughs> and like specifically like cake decorating. Like I would love to watch those cake decorating shows on the Food Network. That was like my favorite thing. And I even like took a class on it at like the rec center and like had all the supplies and stuff at my house. And graduating, either like junior year or graduate after graduating, I was deciding on my dad was like, You have to do some type of work in life now, you know, school. Um so I was either gonna get an internship at a cake decorating place or I was gonna go work at the place I used to do gymnastics at as like a coach assistant and I'm pretty sure I because of the fact that cake decorators didn't it wasn't a real career and people didn't really make money per se I was like oh well I guess I'll just take the job Aww. yeah like, that was like the end like, of that <laughs> things like that are so like they just like break my heart and you're told yeah. so young that you have to like kind of stifle childhood like junior year oh it's college time get ready like growing up there was a long time where I was like I want to be a tattoo artist I used to watch like LA Inc and all like Kat Von D and I was like I'm gonna do it because I love doing art and I was like this is such a fun thing and like I think tattoos are beautiful and it was like this whole thing of like you're not gonna be a tattoo artist because my other one was like I want to be a teacher and it was like you should be a teacher. You're so yeah. good with kids. Don't go towards yeah. the art one. And even now, I was talking to my stepmom the other day. And I had one of the best moments ever. I just want to put this out there. Shout out to my stepmom. If you <laughs> ever listen to this, because <laughs> I've never been happier in my life than me. Sitting there thinking I'm doing something super unrealistic. And I'm looking into uh, opportunities to move abroad, which is realistic. But I found a program, the master's program in Italy with uh, Greco-Roman studies, which has been something I've been in love with since I was young. Yep. And it's like on their uh, history and art and architecture. 
and he's getting a master's there. It's a two thousand dollars, two to three thousand dollars a year. That's it. That's it. Wow. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, I would love to just run away to Italy and get this master's degree. Yeah. I'm like, I, the main thing you could do with it is become a professor. So I'd still be doing something teaching, but it would be adults who want to be there and I could mm-hmm. implement it however I want and do all that. Uh, I'm like, that's unrealistic. I should do something different. And I'm telling my stepmom about this. So I'm like, oh my God, I had this super crazy idea. And she turned around and looked at me in the middle of PSW and was like, why wouldn't you do it then? And I was like, what? Like, super taken off guard. And she's like, Kaylee, literally, that's not unrealistic at all. It's just something out of your box. And she told me point blank. She's like, I've lived in a box since I was 18. I've done the same job. She's a hairstylist. She's like, I've done the same thing since I was 18. I've never moved anywhere, really. I've been pretty much dang near married since then because she's only ever been in, like, six-plus-year-long relationships. And then at, like, 25 or so is when she met my stepmom my dad and became my stepmom. So she's like, I've been in a box my whole life. Literally, do whatever you want to do. That's not unrealistic. And I just was, like, so blown away at 21 years old (laughs) being told that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And I was like, that is really sad. Okay, you know what, though? That is so true, though, that we we don't get that message anymore. Like like you were saying, in in high school, like junior years when we have to start planning like for realistic paths Mm -hmm. and like going to the college that will actually accept us and told constantly that like we got to prepare because college is going to be harder. Professors are going to be harder. Like it's just a constant ramp up of stress. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you don't think that's detrimental to kids like pushing (laughs) off, putting a pressure of like you need to do, you need to know what you want to do for the rest of your life at what, 16 years old, 17. Like you should know your path. You should know this, and you should choose the realistic one rather than whatever is going to make you happy, but could also be realistic. Like, and it makes, it makes you feel like every decision you make is so final. Like, that's yes. like that, mm-hmm. I think that's why, to this day, I struggle with decision-making, like, no tomorrow, because yeah. I always thought that, like, if I chose to do this semester of sports instead of this other one, like, that would ruin my chances of getting a scholarship for this, or if I didn't do an assignment perfectly, my grade dropped by 0.3% or whatever, maybe I wouldn't get picked for this. Like, that was my mentality always. And luckily, I had a dad who every time when I was trying to make a decision, I'd be, like, panicking, overthinking both things. He's like, just do both or do neither. Who the fuck cares? Like, just, you can do both. It's okay. And so he always tried to help me with that kind of thing. But even then, applying to colleges, picking majors, picking classes you're going to do, like, it just... It made everything feel like if I make this decision, I'm like, that is, that will be my path. That will be the one path I'm on. That will be the thing. And it took me until like senior year of college now having teachers and my parents just tell me like, dude, you can pick a career path. You can love it and you can change it. (laughs) You don't have to just have the one thing, which again, I feel like... I feel like teachers so often don't treat their students like people and yeah. give them that information because, I mean, like, hell, my dad was going to be an English professor, and then he ended up working, like, in all these different jobs. My mom was a massage therapist. She's a wood-burning artist. She does, like, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, my stepdad is an English teacher, and he's in, like, five different Grateful Dead tribute bands. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> you can do all the things. Like, no, yeah. my dad had no degree, went back to school to, but like, 
pursue his dream working in the music industry, which, as we know, is one of the most, like, you can't do it fields. Mm-hmm. And my dad's not, like, a musician, but even working backstage, he started out passing out flyers for venues for free, mind you. And now my dad is one of the most well-known music people in Sacramento. He has many, like, magazine things with him. He's friends with unbelievable people that are, like, famous. He's gone and traveled to London and Chicago and Texas to run festivals and do all these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if he isn't the perfect vision of like, at least try, at least try to go for it. Like we should at least be doing that because, you know, there's this idea of like, oh, kids these days think everything is life and death and, you know, oh, depression and this and that. Because I have heard all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's chill. Like, oh, everyone nowadays thinks everything is so, like, life and death and everything's such a big deal at a young age and, like, it's really not a big deal. And I'm like, but we act way. like it is. We have. We made it this <laughs> way. Yeah. Do you tell us this? We are oh a product gosh. of your shitty decision making and that's not on us. Yeah, I'm like, you guys are the ones pushing, this is life or death, this is college, this is this, this is And then you're, like, sitting there, and you're stressing out, and they're like, but why are you stressing out? Like, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, I'm going to punch you in the throat. Oh and see, I'm going to circle this back to what I believe you were saying earlier, Kaylee, that there really is this message that there is one right path to take. And that is the worst for for children, for adolescents, because that makes you feel like you're constantly running out of time. And that idea that you're running out of time, that you're not doing things right, only increases the anxiety and depression. Because if you feel like you're not able to follow that path successfully, you feel like you're a failure. And you're like 14. Like There's yeah. no reason you should be feeling like you're failing at that young an age. And I mean, like, the the whole idea, like, I was telling my mom about this recently, that, like, pretty much since kindergarten, I've been going to school every single day of my life trying to build up to, like, you have to get into this to get to a good high school, to get to a good college, to get to a good career. And it's like, how how are we expected to all be successful on that same path and all be able to keep our sanity doing that? Well, and you're, like, frowned upon for taking, say, a gap year or doing that. Like, I'm taking a year to work right now before I move to Europe. And my dad the other day was like, are you worried about, like, some of the things that just can happen that could stop you from going? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course I am. But I also know that it's something I want to do. And, like, we shouldn't expect people to all go the same route. We shouldn't expect that it's like, oh, my God, you're not going right now. You're never going to go if you're not going right now because that's not how everyone is. And it's a really, like, isolating feeling. It's a really lonely feeling of, like, oh, my God, I'm the only one who doesn't know what to do. And, like, it creates such a loneliness. Even though everyone around you is, like, most people are experiencing very similar feelings, you still feel like you're almost, like, wrong and an outlier because you're like, oh, everyone else is doing it. So why do I feel so sad or why do I feel so stressed trying to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I went back home a couple weeks ago, and my last day in town, my dad's like, hey, I want to have a talk with you. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm 24, and it's basically a talk of what are you going to do with your life? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I have all these ideas. And he's like, yeah, but what, what is your career like? you're about to graduate what are you gonna do like and I'm like dude it's like it's not I don't think of life the way you do but that's and that's definitely a generational thing um yeah my sister started an online business that I help her with I have a, like a clothing line that I'm creating right now Hell yeah. and my my dad's like 
Well, I get that your generation is different, but just because one person makes money on the internet doesn't mean everyone can make money on the internet. I'm like, well, first off, actually, everyone can make money on the internet if they want to. <laughs> Literally, it's fucking like set up perfectly for it. You could do anything, like insane. But you think that way. But it's like it's crazy to just be like, well, okay, if you really want a definitive answer, like entrepreneur, there, like that's a word to put to it. Yeah, and that's, like, that's not even good enough for them. Of course not. Yeah. And see, I feel like that is something else that needs to be normalized in like high school and even earlier. Just it just needs to normalize the idea that your career doesn't your life doesn't need to center around your career to make you successful. The fact that there's this idea that you need to pick one career and then follow it and that's how you're gonna live a satisfactory life, mm-hmm. like bullshit. And, an, and it needs to be a high paying career with benefits yes. and a yes. and a retirement plan. A four oh one K and enough money to keep you comfortable and like it's like, you know what, yeah, sure. Everyone would love that, but you wanna know the truth? That's not gonna work for everyone. Right. And also there are other ways to make it happen. And you don't need to work a nine to five. You don't need to have that. And I think telling kids that they have an option will help them at least explore their creativity and like kind of accept the fact that maybe they aren't feeling successful in what they're doing because it's just not what's meant for them. And that's okay. And they can find other things. Honestly, I want two things. I want two things in my career. I want something that's going to make me happy. And I want something that's going to pay enough to where I can go to therapy. Those are my requirements. And give me enough money. To pay for three hundred dollars therapy sessions once every two weeks. So that's all I'm asking. That's okay. Hilarious. You know what? I'm gonna jump in on that too. Like honestly, <laughs> diagnosis and treatment is such a fucking privilege, and I think that is so like so under discussed, especially in high school and in college too. The fact that so few people have access to that kind of care. Like you were saying, it's so goddamn expensive. And finding ones that are covered by insurance, that'll actually be impossible. It's impossible. And finding ones you're compatible with on top of that, like therapy, medication, diagnosis, like having access to a doctor, having access to a doctor who acknowledges your problems, having access to a doctor who acknowledges your problems as a woman, having a doctor who will prescribe you medications and actually assist you. Like these are things that are so out of the reach of so many people. And I think that making, making resources available, at least for counseling in high schools. And I'm not talking about just like a one counselor who sits in an office and occasionally talks to kids, like actually having someone who's well-trained and like ready to talk, not saying all therapists at high schools are not well-trained. I'm sure some are, but I've had no good experiences. That's just me. I feel like we need to have those resources available. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. So I earlier, when I was doing some research for this episode, I went back to my high school's website and went to the counseling section and found that my high school has three guidance counselors or guidance specialists. Yeah. They're not even labeled counselors because these are people who are helping you like figure out what courses you need to take, apply for colleges, determine your career path. <laughs> and, there, and there's one student support psychologist, one psychologist for 2,400 students. And that's you know you just know that having that one if you say you're going to talk to them that's already like stigmatizes like oh, oh yeah 100 percent psychologist 
yeah, like, you're already the weird one because you want to go see the psychologist. And then also, like, as you already said, like, getting matched with someone who is actually correct for you and you can actually, you actually feel, um, like, well enough opening up to and stuff. Like, if there's only one, you only have one option. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I feel like we need to shift the dialogue on that because so often it's, it's like a punishment. Like when you're the troubled student, you get sent to the psychologist or whatever. Like right. you get sent to the counselor. you have behavioral because, issues. Yes. And I think that kind of, per, like it perpetuates the idea that it's a negative thing to get help when you're struggling. And mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of ties into our discussion last week with our guest speaker, who, again, God bless her. Mm-hmm. But how it really is important to have a safe space where kids can voluntarily share that kind of information because if it's forced upon you, if it's forced against your will, no one's going to want to open up voluntarily like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, getting B's and C's in school is such a less massive worry than the state of your mental health. Like, yeah. Thinking, and- thinking you're weird for seeking out help. Like, that's detrimental, not getting a C. Yeah. yeah. That's God. pretty, literally a C, I don't think ever, ever killed anyone. No. At least, <laughs> like, that, from my knowledge, at least, I could be wrong. I, I mean, but, the stress yeah. was maybe getting a C with high expectations on your Right. Yeah. Yes. But God's I think detrimental. the actual act of someone writing a C on your paper, though, yeah, no. is what, is what's the nail in the coffin. Like, <laughs> it's, it's all the things surrounding it. Yeah. yeah. It's all of those things. And you're right. If you were, if a treatment and aid was available in those crucial years, you're going to have better skills to then deal with it in the later years and, you know, work through mm-hmm. it as an adult and know kind of like, okay, maybe therapy wasn't for me, but at least who I talked to could provide me with, like, hey, when you leave high school. Here's, like, a list of different options you can look into. Like, mm-hmm. just like they do with college prep leaving high school, it's almost like they need to do an exit plan for it. I'm doing my exit plan right now with my therapist from CAPS. Um, mind you, I'm a mess because I now have to find a new therapist that I like, which is a real freaking problem. Oh, yeah. And I don't have enough money to afford a therapist outside of school. And it's one of those things where it's, like, she's creating an exit plan with me. She's like, okay. Let's sit down. Let's look at all the different ways we go about this. Mm-hmm. Look at, let's look at what worked for you, what didn't work for you. If there's a focus that you need to go for, you know, I'm going to look at you with your insurance and let's do that. Like, let's make sure that you are set to go because she was like, I don't want you leaving and feeling just left in the dust. Yeah. And that's how kids feel because they don't have any support to even be left from. So, like, if you're able to have these counselors, have these real people, like, real trained professionals come in, like have the kids that really mesh with you and then when they go to leave not just sitting down and being like so what's your career path what are you doing where are you going to high school give me a list of five schools that you want to apply to and you have to already apply for them in front of me and I'm going to show your path but maybe yeah have someone that's in charge of like what career path do you want what are you interested in how can we make that succeed but then also have someone be there and be like okay you've been working with me with say certain things now I want to make sure that I'm having you leave with yeah. the tools that you need to succeed. Mm-hmm. That way, you're not completely left in the dust. Like, it is such a scary feeling moving on. And you have to think of how scared you are. Like, it's exciting. But I was terrified for some of the adult things that I didn't know how to do that we weren't ready for in mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. But not having, like, my peer helping system, like, 
support system even, like reserve sauce, I was so scared. Like, I built up this support system. I built up this amazing, amazing thing that just, like, really helped me. And it was like, holy shit, I'm not going to have that anymore. Like, what do I do? Where do I go from here? And not everyone has, like, parents or, you know, resources that are going to tell them black and white, here's what you need to do. And even if you do, that's not always helpful. Like, there needs to be some sort of transition into a second, like, post-secondary education and into or whatever you go forward with after high school that's going to prep you for, like, here's how you find resources. Here's how you find affordable resources. Right. Here's how you maybe do things on your own. Here are some, like, options for holistic methods or, you know, you're really into journaling, if you're really into yoga, if you're really into, say, other forms of exercising or, you know, doing art therapy or whatever that looks like, here's yeah. how we can help you find it. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, going off of that idea, too, I think – all of those ideas are absolutely necessary. I think we absolutely nece- like we need to implement that. But I know like there are going to be kids who are too shy, too uncomfortable, to whatever to come forward with their issues. So I think for situations like that, I really think schools should implement some kind of anonymous helpline. Not necessarily oh. a phone or like I mean, yes, a phone system, a phone tree, some kind could be great, but. Maybe even just like one of those anonymous boxes where you can drop messages and have someone leave a response for you. Like that way you can have assistance coming to you without having to confront it head on saying that it's you. Mm -hmm. Because I know like personally, even I struggled with issues that I never really wanted to say out loud because if I said them out loud and had them tied to me, then that forever, yeah, it's tied to me. Like that's Mm -hmm. something that I was experiencing. So I think having some kind of anonymous assistance for kids who are uncomfortable coming forward and speaking to others directly could really be a good resource for a big number of high school and most likely college students. That could help. I think the only thing that would loophole that in high school, um, just from learning with like my peer helping program, like the different things that we have to do, if there's something that like is a mandatory reportable incident Mm -hmm. and it goes in that anonymous box, that's where legally the school is kind of in a shithole. So like, it's hard because there is this weird line because these people, these youth are like pretty much adults, but under the law, they're not. And so that's where we kind of get in weird situations. And like, even I wish caps on campus was anonymous. Their 24 hour helpline, you have to give them all your information. And I understand why, because you are in a crisis. That makes sense. But it also is stressful when you call them at say 2 AM and they're like, what's your number? What's your student ID? And what's your name? And then I get a call from my therapist a few days later being like, I heard you called CAPS. And I'm like, I really didn't want to do that. Like, that's not how I want to go about this. Mm -hmm. I feel like there really needs to be some form of, like, deep analysis that goes along with, like, the law and goes along with, you know, the school regulations and all that that can work with something like that, where it does allow the kids that don't have as much of a voice on their own to be heard without feeling like, from this podcast is that it will at least start a movement. It'll start a discussion at mm-hmm. very least about creating some positive change because 
I think that's true. I think that's a really good point that the schools could be held liable for a lot of the issues that we're discussing, which is probably why, especially in high schools and colleges, like colleges begin to address it more because we are legal adults. But mm-hmm. in high school, I think that's why a lot of um, a lot of people tend to veer away from the subject just because it's controversial and could receive pushback. I mean, like Ms. Herb said, that from teachers and parents alike, there is absolutely pushback when it comes to controversial subjects. So it makes sense to that degree. But I think it also is crucial that we come up with either like new formats, new, like you were saying, new ways of handling the situation. So there can be some anonymous, I don't know, I don't know exactly. Something needs to change in a way that can still keep students and the faculty safe. Yeah. yeah. The message for program, there was a lot of, like, upset about the fact that, like, with your counseling, I counseled kids. Right. And, yeah, I had to be trained enough to, like, in the class to, you know, I had to pass our midterm, which was seven pages in an essay, in order to properly peer counsel. I, you can't peer counsel unless you pass. And a huge part of it is, like, if a kid tells you one of the reportable incidences, you have to walk them out to the office, and it's not. And a concern with parents was, like, how do we know that these reportable incidences are getting walked up to the office? How do we know that these kids aren't feeling guilty for, like, turning in saying they're another student? Mm. And so it makes sense why they're worried about it. Like, when you hear a kid open up to you about something that's really dark and is reportable, it's really hard sometimes to be like, shit, okay, well, I have to take a counselor now. Yeah. Like, when we're done, at the very end, you have to tell them, like, so I, because you have to warn them before they start talking, you tell them these are the three reportable incidences. If I hear any of them, I do have to bring the counselor and you should be aware of that. And then if they do, I'm telling you, you have to tell them, like, I'm going to walk you up to the counselor. I will stay with you as long as you need. I can get another student if you want to sit with you. We will do however you want to go about this, but I have to bring you up because there needs to be some form of higher help. And that's where kids get scared. They hear reportable incidents, they hear those things, and then they shut down. And it makes sense because as a teen myself, I didn't want to tell people reportable things. Right. Like, yeah. you don't want to be reported to the counselor. You don't want your parents getting called. Right. But there, it's hard because looking back on it, like, it is needed. When those reportable incidents are told, you do need that help that maybe you don't want. Like, yeah. and if kids are being told it's okay, like, it's okay to come forward. It's okay to talk about those things. It's okay to get out and air out those wounds. Then they're going to be more likely to. Yeah. So I think, like we talked about, like starting dialogue, creating that sense of belonging, creating that like community, is going to be the push towards people being more open to tell them those things, whether yeah. they're more of the quiet kids or not. Yeah, and that it takes me as well, like to what we were talking about last week, as far as uh, sexual assault, yeah. right? Because I mean, it starts first time I was sexually assaulted, I was in middle school, oh. and that was like since it was the first time and it was like a very, it was like walking down the street and an old man did something weird. Uh, we were like right next to my house, me and my friend walking home from the mall. So we like went home and told my parents immediately. And then, yeah. and then the police were called and then the police came to my house. And we had to do all this stuff. Like, um, and then as it gets, as you get older and it, if it keeps happening, it's, it starts to almost become normal to you, you know? And it's kind of the same with not reaching out for help um, that you need as far as 
your mental state goes. Like if you've been just dealing with this on your own for so long and that's what you think is normal and it's okay. I'll just power through it and see what happens. Like people aren't going to keep, or people aren't going to reach out for help. That's why we have to start making it normal younger. What is it's, it's a jarring feeling at a young age, at say, yeah. 13, 14, mm-hmm. to have something like that. Like, the first time I was, I was a freshman in high school. And it was by a senior dude. He shoved his hand down my pants in the upstairs area at our theater. Of, like, our theater, I'm in class. In the middle of class, mind you, we're the only two people running lights. And I literally ran out of the room, and I remember the first people to come and approach me and be like, hey, are you okay, were some of my other friends in the class that were guys. And they ran up to me and were like, are you okay? And I just immediately shut down. And part of it was because they were guys. And part of it was because it was like, I really, I grew up with all brothers, and I have always had guy friends. But it was still this, like, sense of, like, I I can't tell them that. Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell them that. I can't tell my brothers they're going to beat the shit out of this dude. I can't tell anyone because I'm embarrassed. And I feel like maybe, you know, maybe I did something to warrant it. Because you're young and you're not told yeah. that no matter what you do, it's never warranted. Yes. And it's not talked about. So it was just like a super jarring, isolating, like, you shove it down deep inside of you until it resurfaces because there's no other seeming option based on the way that it's confronted and the way it's dealt with like the first time I saw that guy again was a few years later and I remember I was like a at that point I think I was a senior was the next time I saw him after that end of that year and every time I saw him in class I I couldn't speak to him anymore because Mm -hmm. I literally couldn't bring up the words out of my mouth and I had class with him every day and then next time I saw him after he graduated I was a senior he came to visit I was an alumni I feel like an event and in, my, in your head, it goes different than how it happens in real life, you know? Of course. In your head, it yeah. goes different. In my head, I'm like, I'm strong. Now I'm an adult. Now I know that that's wrong. And I knew it was messed up. But I very much at the moment I saw him, I just broke down. Literally in the middle of a guitar show. Broke down, went outside, broke the fuck down. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being like, wow, you didn't deal with it. Like, that was like my first, like, holy shit, you didn't deal with that. Holy shit, that should have been dealt with when you were 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. and happened but it wasn't because there was nothing you thought you could do yeah, yeah. that fear is so crazy like to have something that was done to you but, but it's, it's so scary to say it out loud for some reason right it's like you wouldn't, tell, you wouldn't hide it if you broke your leg yeah you would hold that in and be like nope I'm good I didn't break it it's fine like yeah. if something traumatic happens you got in a car accident when you were young and you got hurt, you wouldn't hide it. Right. You'd be like, I got in a car accident, I'm hurt. And you would tell people. And you would probably tell the first person that you saw, I just got in a car accident, I just got hurt. Yeah. I need help. I need help. Yeah. So much of it, I think, comes from, like, the internalized shame of it. Just because it's something you didn't have control over and you feel mm-hmm. like you should have control over it. Yeah. And I feel like, of course, there's so many different facets that, of just the struggle you face emotionally with the turmoil from that kind of experience. And again, not having experience with anything like that before, of course you don't know how to raise a dialogue on that with anyone because you feel at that point, a lot of time you're not told that of course it's not your fucking fault. It's never your fault. It is always the fault of the person who perpetrates it. But 
that doesn't mean you don't still feel some responsibility for it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when you're brought straight to the cops, you're brought straight to the police, which is a super intimidating thing. Mm -hmm. That is a super, you're not brought to a a counselor, you're not brought to a psychologist, you're not brought to someone who's going to be there for your mental support. You're there just, you're brought straight to someone to report it is a massive authority figure and is honestly super intimidating as a young person. Oh, totally. It's intimidating now. Like, I still, my my boyfriend today is like, you should, I honestly think, you should still report what happened your senior year. Or your, or not senior year, it was my sophomore year when the big one happened. He's like, I still think you should report that. And I still am like, I will never, ever go to a police station and mm-hmm. report that, whether it was in the years or not. Because, it's terrifying and it opens a whole can of worms that I don't feel like I will be supportive in. And that is so beyond scary. Yeah. And it's, you know, he, ver- he said, she said, yeah, it's yeah. Fine, but that's not, that's not cool. And it's not fun. And you're not backed up and you're not receiving all the help boys that you deserve. So how do you expect kids to come and tell you these really traumatic things and especially sexual assault when the first thing they're met with is a cop, and questions of, well, what were you wearing? What were you doing? Well, you got in his car. Well, you you also were doing stuff before. Are you sure you said the word no? If yeah. you didn't say the word no, there's a problem. Oh, you didn't want it, but you, you didn't react exactly how you maybe should have. Oh, but you stayed in the car with him after, and he drove you home. Oh, he drove you home. Like, so What, because like, I didn't leave running and screaming? It's like, okay. Me to get out of the car at a golf course parking lot and scream for help about something that I already felt immensely guilty for and immensely disgusting for on my own. And then the cop's going to come and do that. You're not receiving the support. Like, this is why kids need support. This is why we need to make it implemented in the public high school system and in high schools in general because that's when you have the most opportunities for daily support and aid and help. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> There's my tangent for today. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm not even going to try to rip off of it because I just feel so enraged mm-hmm. and I feel like <laughs> so beautifully. And again, I know we haven't even said this on the podcast, but thank you guys for your vulnerability with the sharing like this, because this is not something again that we're normally used to doing on a day-to-day basis but yeah I think Kaylee you raised an important point there when it comes to it which is the aspect of being a woman or a female like female uh presenting in any way shape or form there is another aspect to it that is different when it comes to reporting how not even when it comes to sexual assault or sexual misconduct of any kind anything there is another level of um disbelief of you having to prove yourself of you having to make a case for yourself and i i mean i can't speak to what it was like like for trying to like express yourself at school i didn't even try to reach out to my counselors because they were shit but going to a doctor I had to, even with simple things, like, at one point I went to a doctor just to get diagnosed with strep fucking throat, and he tried to convince me my foot wasn't broken. I wasn't there for the broken foot. I was there for strep throat. But because I was a girl trying to explain something that was happening to me, they would always try to shut it down. And Your man mansplained left and right Mm -hmm. literally i had to find different doctors all the time and 
you know what? You know what? No, I'm going on a quick tangent here. (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't even going to, but I went to the doctors and for the last year I was going because they thought there was something seriously wrong with me. I mean, I couldn't get out of bed. I was in so much pain all the time. Like I physically could not move. I cannot count on one hand the number of male doctors who told me, oh, well, you know, sweetie, your period cramps can be pretty painful. It took until I found my first female doctor to go and do a surgery and was like, yeah, bitch, your organs were adhered together. They were tearing every time you moved. I know it wasn't period cramps. But because of that, like, no, that's physical, not necessarily on mental health. But I had to find a female doctor yet again to prescribe me and listen to me when it came to my mental health. I tried to talk to other doctors and they wouldn't believe me or they wouldn't take me seriously. And they would suggest I try meditation or they would suggest I try, you know, more leafy greens or whatever. But it really did take finding someone who would listen. And I was willing to put in the time and energy for that because I had the time to do that purely mostly because of COVID and because I didn't have to meet face to face. I could do it over the phone. So I think that says a lot too, when it comes to having resources that will listen to women because <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. That's why I request a female doctor. Every time I go, I refuse to have anything else because yeah. the, between the mansplaining between the, uh, oh, is it just your hormones? All of that. It's, yeah. it's a whole. There's a whole other podcast we could have in here. Like, oh, literally, we could make that a whole other side subset. Of I could scream for a year. No, 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 for years. <laughs> inherent sexism in the medical industry towards women. Oh my god, and not even just. Oh my god. Yeah, no, I could go off. <laughs> women, people of color, trans people. Oh my god. We're not going to go there right now, but (laughs) I will say that a lot of people probably will have issue or take issue with the fact that we're bringing gender into this, but it is a legitimate issue that needs to be addressed (laughs) because it's not equal footing when it comes to finding help. It really isn't. If you are a cis white male, yeah, it's hard to come forward. I'm not saying your struggles are not valid because they are. But most people will listen to you and believe you. And that is when everyone else starts facing the biggest struggles of finding help. Because reaching out is just the first step. And that step is hard as fuck to take. And a lot of people don't even take that step. But the dis- the struggle of reaching out and having your concerns be disregarded or disvalued, or just saying they don't exist, that's enough to dissuade a lot of people from ever trying to get help again, which is why we need to have the first the first step that people take in high school. We need to have a healthy connection for them to find a, like, a good step so they have a good experience so they know that it's okay to continue doing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess that's my tangent for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean... It just brought up the thought of, like, I didn't really think about it earlier, which I guess I haven't really thought about it my whole life. But I mean, I'm an African-American female. Like, it ain't easy out here. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Like, <laughs> it's I mean, not easy. <laughs> like, even just, like, looking at the world itself and then looking at yourself and how you fit in or don't fit in in yeah. the areas that you're, like, in the environment you're in. 
Um, and then, yeah, just adding all these layers on top of like being a human being, especially being an adolescent human being, adding these layers just makes everything so much more difficult. Absolutely. Like, well, and that's why I'm excited next week to talk about too, like all of those things. Yeah. Like, yeah. The different groups, the different like ways that it affects different groups, like the lack of resources, depending on what group you're in and how we're placed in these groups. And just the fact that like everyone deserves equal access and people aren't getting that and people aren't having, you know, the same reactions as everyone else and different well, things play a different role in mental illness and how it portrays. And especially in high school where you're so defined by different groups and where you are, like things are so separated. And mm-hmm. so I feel like literally I'm, I'm so beyond excited to talk about that next week. I'm like, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yes, like perfectly. You perfectly like touched on it, and I'm like, yes, yes. This is what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that was a perfect segue. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> we, we could try to play that off as planned, but that was a really good segue. <laughs> yeah, so, I feel like that is that is another important part that we will have to discuss. Is that while mental health awareness and um, resources are already like not really at what they should be, even if you come up with a like one size fits all across the board kind of solution, it's not gonna fix the problem at hand. It's not gonna provide equal footing or equal um advantages to anyone. And I think that is the next important point we need to we need to hit on. The one psychologist at your high school is not gonna be able to help everyone. <laughs> yeah. That one psychologist no matter like- no matter how damn phenomenal they are, they will not be able to actually handle the issues of every single person from every demographic, every potential backstory. Like, there's middle aged no white male Greg isn't going to be able to help <laughs> you always. Just put it out there. <laughs> Unfortunately, Greg and Karen, um, <laughs> I can't like, identify with you. Like, thank you. Thank you for your effort. Um, we do not see eye to eye in our lives, so I just don't feel like this is going to work. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so I guess just to sum it up, like, as as much as it is up to parents and teachers and anyone who's helping guide children through life, um, like, it's up to them to help and to teach their children the importance of the how-tos of understanding, expressing, and managing their feelings and emotions. Um, and in order to do this, you know, they have to try to understand, and they absolutely have to respect their children's feelings. Um, and if they don't think they can do that, then find someone who can. Yes, absolutely. I think so. that. Yeah, that was a beautiful summary. And I think you hit on some really crucial points here. Thank you for all the research and the statistics you brought in. That was great. Oh, yeah. Happy just, to just leave and she just knocked it out of the ballpark with that podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, she did. <laughs> this is great. We've gone over an hour here. Look at us go. I know. We could talk about this stuff all night. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get us riled up. We will tangent forever. <laughs> well, then. Yeah. Thank you, guys, for yeah, another amazing for, episode. Thanks for and tuning in. We'll see you back next week for Kaylee's. 
our final episode. We'll see you guys then. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.